This is the Car Religion Podcast. This is a show where we share our passion and perspective for cars. New and old. Fast and slow. Affordable and expensive alike. I'm your show host, George. And I'm your other show host, Andrew. Let's Let's get get started. started. Hello guys, it's been a long time, we know. Indeed it has. <laughs> Life is busy. Life gets busy, for sure. That's right. Uh, it's December now, our last episode was July, but uh, we're back and we hope you love to listen again. Yeah, Merry Christmas and season's greetings to everyone. That's listening. right. Happy holidays. Um, lots has happened since we came off the air uh, a couple months ago, but the first thing I thought we'd talk about is uh, just some pet peeves. I don't know. It's kind of fun to talk about things that bug us um, about cars because car makers somehow, they never get everything right. There's always something that's got to be wrong. And there's stuff that bugs us everywhere. Right, George? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so I'll get started. And this is such a little thing, but it bugs me so much because it'd be so easy to change. Uh, It's... In modern Volkswagens, I know it's in the Golf, it's in the Jetta, probably in other vehicles like Tiguans and stuff like that, but the the volume knob on the stereo is, is just a normal knob, and it has a little power symbol on it, and it's never the right way up, because the symbol rotates with the knob. And then you, you turn it on and off by pushing the knob so you don't have to return it back to zero or anything. So the power knob is never right way up. It's always pointing in some weird direction no matter how you leave it. If you turn off the stereo and then you turn it back to the right way, that's fine. But as soon as you adjust volume, it's going to be in some other weird place. And, you know, people are already particular about their volume. It's got to be a multiple of two or a multiple of five or a multiple of ten. So having both the power symbol the right way up and your volume on a multiple that you like, that's too much. Volkswagen doesn't want you to do it. It's just one of those things that pisses me off because you could so easily change it to just always be the right way up, have the outside of the knob rotate like so many knobs in cars, and then it would just be more aesthetically pleasing. And Volkswagen is usually good at doing these little things being more refined and, and having the attention to detail that some automakers miss. But I don't know. They've been doing this for a little while and it bugs me. But uh, I mean, hey, I guess it doesn't bug everybody because Volkswagen still sell a lot. Hey, one solution you can always change to your aftermarket deck, right? <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. Volkswagen makes uh, pretty good um, stock stereos and, and systems though, right? So yeah. I guess that's good. Cost and benefit, like, is it worth is it worth your effort? Like, at the end of the day, yeah. Um, I guess for me, um, one of the pet peeves is like the old Hondas and like Mazdas when you open the door, uh, and when you still have the key in the ignition, it buzzes, like a very annoying buzz sound. Um, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Like a lot of people pull the fuse on that one, so <laughs> it doesn't happen again. But that's when you uh, know it's annoying. Yeah, I. I can't really deal with that one. And um, a second one for me is the modern cars where it has like automatic like lift gate on the um, on the trunk. 
Yep. Um, where you you know you click a button and it opens slowly and it cl- it closes, right? Yep. Okay, so what doesn't make sense to me is when you have the car running idling in park, you cannot open the trunk without shutting off the car. At least for Mazdas, for the CX five, you cannot open the trunk without shutting off the car. You know that from your mom's. Yeah. So there, you know, how, there's wow. a button. There's a physical button on the car. Yeah. And when you press it, it should lift the gate up, right? Yeah. But when the car is running, like when it's in park or drive or whatever, it yeah. doesn't work. You no click the what. key, the key doesn't work. And you go into the back, you try to press it. I understand that part because I guess if someone, like a homeless person, tried to open your trunk, it doesn't open. Yeah. That makes sense. But when you're inside, if you press the button, it should be able to open, but it doesn't. It could yeah. be a safety thing. Maybe. But shouldn't it be like on drive? Like you wouldn't be able to do it like when you're, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's interesting. interesting. But it's also annoying because it's happened to me a few times when I was using her car. When I was just trying to open the trunk. Yeah, it has to be off. Yeah. You'd think you'd be able to open it in park. You yeah, can't. that's. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I didn't know about that, but that uh, would definitely annoy me for sure. Um, something else that gets me is those sequential lights on the Audi. You know, they have like the, um, they've got these LED bars now that light along the way in the direction that they're signaling. But because by law, those little bars aren't big enough to actually represent a whole blinker, they still make you put, Audi still has to put a whole other light on there that lights up just all at once when they're signaling. So you end up with this two part signal one that just lights up and the other that lights in the direction that you're moving or that you're going to go. And it's just so, it's so extra. It, there's just no reason for it. You've now got a completely, a, a signal that works completely normally and completely properly. And then you put this little bar that lights up in the direction you're going to go just in case the person behind you doesn't get it. I, It just looks really really silly to me i don't know it that that bugs me and it's different from the mustang because the mustang just you know it's simple it just lights one two three on the one side where it's signaling on the back but the audis they've made all these fancy little leds that look like they're lighting in one continuous bar all the way along and stuff oh my goodness it's it's just it would put me off from buying an audi it just looks so goofy to me. Mm-hmm. It's it's just so unnecessary. You know, like, it, the LEDs look cool, but, I mean, come on. That's just so much. Like, also something that's so much is this is not, like, OEM, I guess. But it's when, like, tuners run, like, very, very heavy camber on their cars. Yeah. That, like, I don't know. It's kind of gross to me. It like, does look goofy. Like, there's a functional... And a styling, like, reason for people to do that, to do that, right? But it's, like, there's... I feel like there's a line when it's too much. <laughs> like, when there's a Civic, like, the wheels are running parallel, almost. Like, I'm like, come on, man. Like... A little bit much, huh? Yeah. What are you doing? So, that... that I, that's a pet peeve for me, too. It's, a, it's just, like, a ricer thing, I guess, right? And under... Under-glowing lights. Um, neon lights underneath the Like, cars. the ground effects yeah, lights? Ground effects. Yeah, yeah can't do that one those those are definitely a lot (laughs) especially when it's on a little civic for sure um one last thing that bugs me and this is just kind of 
an observation I've had over the past little while. And because uh, the winter season has just come upon us, I was talking to my grandfather the other day about winter tires because he just got a new crossover. He got a Ford Escape, he and his wife. And he was talking about getting uh, winter tires. And, you know, he wants to get the pressure sensors in his tires because his mechanic told him that he needs pressure sensors in his tires. And, okay, fine, sure. You know, they'll probably end up being mandated at some point as a safety feature. Uh, but my family doesn't use uh, the the pressure monitors in their tires. We just bought um, Michelin X-Ices, and they're really good, but they don't have pressure monitors. And I bet you we'll be okay. We'll, we'll survive the winter. But anyway, so he was going to buy new winter tires and he just came from a little Nissan Versa and he's now in a Ford Escape and he was complaining about how expensive tires are to put on big rims and that reminded me I, I got thinking I was like yeah all these big crossovers that are lifted and with the big body cladding that's all plastic and they've got big rims on them and you can fit bigger rims in there right like buying a crossover with 20-inch rims is not even a, a weird thing at this point. 20-inch rims are huge. And, I mean, I don't, he doesn't have 20-inch rims on his Escape, don't get me wrong. But the huge rims are just so unnecessary. And it's one of those things that have just sort of come along with crossovers is that everybody has these huge rims now. You know, you can't buy a crossover with rims smaller than... 18, you know, like 18, 18 inches, inches or yeah. something. That, that's a big rim. Yeah. You know, those are big and more expensive to put rubber on and stuff like that. It's, you know, it's it's another costly thing. Crossovers cost more than cars and, you know, everything about them does, right? Even those big rims and big tires. Well, even for, you know, cars, right? Not just crossovers. They're like, everyone's putting 18s on. Right on yeah. a Mazda three is eighteen. Like for the GT, I'm pretty sure the eighteen inches. Is yeah, standard. I think that it starts at sixteen inches and then it jumps to eighteen when you go to. I the have fifteen on mine, man, and I'm doing fine. Yeah, they look good. That's like, right. They honestly, look good. They're doing okay. Low profile is not that like, like for a daily perspective, it's not that like useful. It looks good, but you get bumpier ride. Yeah. it's easier to pop your tires. Right, like yeah um i don't know like uh, for me personally i like big meaty tires on like even nice rims or whatnot i yeah. like the old school like big thick walls but that's just me like i try to fit 14s in my, on my miata right yeah yeah half 14s the tires on your mazda 3 are thick okay that's that's a <laughs> Those different are story big tires <laughs> well like honestly like i want to talk also talk about like the importance of winter tires as well right especially yeah. like in Canada, is like I know a lot of listeners are from the U.S. and they don't get as like cold weather as we do. Yeah, in the southern states. In the for southern sure. states, yeah. that's what I meant. Um, but the difference it makes is like people even with like pickup trucks and whatnot, they're like, oh, like we have four wheel drive, it's okay, right? It's like yes, you won't get stuck, but when you think about it, it's the stopping distance, right? That's where you have most control with winter tires. Your stopping distance is like half, like basically cuts in half compared to traditional all seasons especially yeah. if they're like ran down so and and turning too and turning, right yeah, turning, turning's yeah. not about right. four-wheel drive yeah. anymore turning is about how much traction you have on your tires yeah. and you know if you're if you're going at speed because you can accelerate with yeah. your four-wheel drive but you can't turn or stop that's uh 
that's not safe at all, right? So uh, that there, I I know people who live up here in Canada and say, nope. If you know what you're doing, all you need is four wheel drive and and all season tires, and you're good. But oh my goodness, I, those people are just so wrong. It's crazy. People buy winter tires, even if like even if you have all wheel drive. A front-wheel drive car with winter tires will handle and accelerate and brake so much better than an all-wheel drive car without winter tires when there's snow everywhere. It's just, I mean, it's something that everybody who knows what they're talking about says. And it's it should be common knowledge, but it's not. So please, people, buy your winter tires. And buy quality winter tires, right? It's not just, you know, the, anyone can market winter tires, right? But I've always had, like cheap winter tires like tiger <laughs> not not trying to diss on tiger paws but i had tiger paws i had like i don't even know what but um this is like the first year i've had like good winter i have i'm, I'm running um hankook eye pikes which is like yeah. one of the top 10 winter tires out there and it really does make a difference when you're like in slush and yeah like don't get me wrong the cheap like no name winter tires still works better still than no make seasons, a difference right still oh, makes yeah. a difference but when you go up to like an x-ice or an i-pike or if you go really heavy duty there's a company a swedish company called nokian they have a they have a tire called nokian hakapalita r2s those <laughs> are t- tires that like um what do you call autocross guys like uh rally guys they run on their on their cars right and like these are the best winter tires by far but you don't really need that traditionally for day-to-day use but that's uh, one extreme right that's another extreme yeah but yeah, yeah. stay safe on the, on the roads out there guys yeah for sure with the winter tires yeah now at where we are right now we've come through a warm spell so there uh, there isn't much snow but there's been a lot of slush and some ice when it does get uh colder and i i can tell you for sure uh when i've been driving around the past couple of days i have very much appreciated having winter tires on um but yeah that's that's enough of our uh you know advice giving is <laughs> and rent yeah that's yeah, right in yeah. our rants um Let's move on to the uh, the main topic of our show now. Uh, we were thinking we've been off the air for a while and a lot has happened, a lot has changed. And one of the biggest things that we've noticed is there are a lot more electric cars uh, now that have been either announced or revealed, shown off, released. Uh, so we wanted to start talking about some of the most important ones. I mean, yeah, everybody wants to talk about the Porsche, but... In reality, that's a that's a big super sedan that not a lot of people are going to buy. And as as we've seen from the industry, from pe- uh, companies like Tesla, it's easier to build a big, super expensive sedan or crossover and do it well as an electric car than it is to build an affordable car that will work every day and that a lot of people will buy. Uh, there's a lot more trouble sort of coming with that. We've seen a few failed uh, attempts or some attempts that aren't working so well. Uh, and so uh, I figured we would start and be a little bit better off talking about those and comparing those. Uh, now, you could say this is more important than a lot of the uh, cars that Ford has released over the past little while, but the Mustang Mach-E, the new Mustang that isn't a real Mustang, as a lot of people will say, that's going to be a very important car for Ford. 
uh, going forward. And um, George, what would you say its main competition would be in the in the market for for the Maki? Yeah, the Maki. I think it's the it's going to be the upcoming mo- uh, model Y. Yeah. The Polestar Two. That's even, right. That's going to be coming. Yeah. Um, like I guess all of them are kind of up in air, and like I I guess if you stretch it, like Model Three as well, even though it's not in the same um, like vehicle class, but it's still EV. Yeah, uh, with similar range, right? So Model Three, um, even the Leaf Plus, uh, the Nissan Leaf Plus, right. will be in the picture on the lower end. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Um, I I think a lot of people have different opinions with the naming uh, architecture from Ford. Um, like it's an interesting choice going with Mustang. Yeah. Um, well, and it's not even yeah. just any Mustang. They also use the mock name, yeah. right? Which they've used. The mock name for a lot of important and very fast and very special Mustangs over the years. So not only have they used Mustang, but they've also used mock. And I think they're they're trying to send a message with the naming, which I sort of get. But what are your thoughts on why they did it, George? What do you think was their reasoning behind it? Rather than trying to come up with... You see a lot of these um, companies like Mercedes... Audi, BMW, they're trying to come up with a completely new sort of brand, mm-hmm. right? BMW's got their i-series, Audi, I can't remember what the Audis are called. Um, Mercedes, I think, is EQ or something like that. They're all coming up with sub-brands that are their electric and hybrid stuff. And Ford decided to use an existing brand and probably their brand with the best recognition and the, the best reputation. Mm-hmm. Why do you think they went that direction? I think there's there's a lot of um, background and there's a lot of like uh, hidden um, decision making in Ford that we don't know. We don't really have the visibility. Um, but from my um, intuition, I think it's okay. It's smart in one way because they're marketing to um, to the people that grew up with Mustangs, right? Which is the North American market. Um, when you say Mustang, you have a picture, you know exactly what the car looks like, yeah. right? And when you drive a Mustang down the road, you know that's a Mustang. So I guess in a sense that like the performance, the heritage, and the best of the best for Ford, like obviously Ford makes the GT, but to any like ordinary person that's not a car, car person, when they think like a good Ford car, they think Mustang or F-150, Right? right, those are their bread and butter at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think going with the Mustang name is because all of the competitors that we mentioned, most of them are performance oriented. Like when you look at like the model, like Tesla as a, as a company, right? Yes, they have a civilian version, like uh, for the Model Three, they have like standard range plus, but then they have a performance version. They have a performance Tesla Model S. They have a performance model uh, Model X. And I'm assuming, like, based on how that brand has developed over the years, there's going to be a performance version of the Model Y. There def- right? There is, for sure. And yeah. then when we say performance, they're highly performance cars. Like, the Model 3 performance is on paper. Even there's review videos that says it's better than the BMW M3 on a track. I don't know how true that is. It might... I That's another topic. But going back into the naming convention, I think... Um, being able to compete, right? So if they, you have a brand new name, it's like, I don't know, Ford EV, uh, EV uh, for an example, right? Yeah. You can't really 
give that the per, um, perception of like performance. Right. People have to figure that out by driving yeah. it. I think being able so the advantages is like being able to compete. It's a name that people know um, and whatnot. But the disadvantage, which is more than advantage in my opinion, is that I grew up liking Mustangs and I like my V8s, right? And that's why people like Mustangs. At the end of the day, they're loud, obnoxious, and right, freedom, and right, very sporty, very vehicles. sporty, speedy, sporty vehicles. Yeah. But with you know, with the new car that's going to be coming, it's not going to be loud. It's probably going to be sporty. Uh, as far as we know, it's going to be very sporty, right? But I think that's the only element that that's like resonating with the Mustang name. So I think it's just gonna they're having, they're gonna have a hard time to transition their customers to understand like to adapt that name but i'm not saying it's impossible i'm just saying like if they wanted to move forward with like both directions like if they still wanted to make like pure v8 mustangs i think that's going to have a negative impact on their brand image in a sense because when we talk in marketing there's brand identities right and there's sub brands within little brands so for example like pepsico have you know Tostitos, right? So sub brands. Now, I think with this naming convention with EVs, they can get lost with their brand identity. I think they're very clear with where they are from 1965 up to now. But I think like just moving forward from now, I don't know what the market is going to translate. Obviously, it's shifting to EV, but like look, even looking at infrastructures, right? Even look at LA specifically, like LA is a big EV friendly uh, state in the US, right? Yeah. But here's the thing, if every, even 80% of the people on the vehicle on the road transitions to EV, there's not enough infrastructure, not enough electric grids to supply that need. Yeah. So I'm, what I'm saying is the adoption curve might be slower than Ford thinks. That's, where I'm like where I'm at. So um, yes, Mustang, cool performance that aligns with the brand image, if you will. But then I think it's just a mix up with the brand identity. So like we don't know what's gonna. They can always change your name. That's the thing. The car's gonna be made, right? It kind of looks like a Mustang too. Yeah. Like the front. Like that's. I guess that's another element as well. Like it kind of does look like a Mustang, but it's yeah. four doors. Ford's never made a four door Mustang before, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, right. So I, I think what I'm getting is that in the short run, it's a good idea because it will give the earlier adopters mm -hmm. and the people who are looking for something like this, it'll give them the idea that it is performance oriented mm -hmm. and it'll give them a certain image. But perhaps in the long run, the brand will get diluted and it'll get harder to figure out what the name of Mustang actually means. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I guess, and that all remains to be seen, um, but I do like some of the things they're doing with the vehicle itself. I mean, like you were saying, it looks kind of like a Mustang. Mm -hmm. I think it looks pretty good. Mm -hmm. I think it looks better than a Model Y will, and you might disagree with that, but I, I do think it looks better than a Model Y. Uh, they both kind of have that sloping roof line and stuff like that, but I think that the Ford is just a better interpretation of that sort of design and that size of crossover as much as you can have a crossover that looks good. I'm not a fan of crossover looks sort of in general, but I think that the Ford, even if it was 
let's say it was a gasoline-powered vehicle, I'd say it was a pretty good-looking crossover. I would say it looks better than any of Ford's other crossovers. And, uh, you know, that would help it appeal to me because traditionally electric cars have looked, you know, funky or weird or quirky. And so I, I really like what they're doing with the, uh, with the Mach-E in terms of style. That being said, the interior from like from the pictures, right? Um, we don't, we haven't really seen the car in person, but f- f- to me, the interior looks like a copy paste from Tesla. Yeah, it's got the big screen yeah. in the middle. Yeah, it's and, not a bad thing, uh, right? It's, it's not it's a bad very thing. Very simple. Yeah. yeah. Um, it well, it'll we'll have to see if it has the same um, cool vents that the Model Three has, where it's just one stream of air that's yeah. directed by other streams of air. Yeah. That's really cool. We'll see how Ford does that, but it's a very simple interior layout, which helps them to keep costs low, right, and stuff like that. But yeah. um, you are you are right about that. I noticed that as well, looking at the interior. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, maybe it'll be the same kind of interior, but perhaps Ford will do a better job of the fit and finish, as Tesla tends to have you know some issues with uh, with that and the quality control, but. Um, you know, it all remains to be seen. The uh, the Mach E is supposed to come out. Um, I think it's late 2020, so you know we'll see if that's actually true. Uh, it'll start around fifty thousand dollars Canadian, which is pretty good. You know, if you get, uh, I think it's 355 kilometers of range. Um, it's got two battery options, so you got the base has 355 kilometers of range, and then it goes up there, tops out at 475 with the bigger battery um and then they've also got and i i like the way they've done their lineup they've got the gt version which has all the power it's like 400 and something horsepower 600 and something pound feet of torque which is a lot of torque and that model is going to be around $82,000 canadian so that's that's an expensive uh ford for Mm -hmm, sure mm -hmm. but um you can get a base model around $50,000 Canadian and it'll have like 300 horsepower. You know, it's not going to be an overpowered beast that the average person doesn't need. It's going to have, I think it, the, the lowest power you'll get in a Mach-E is 255 horsepower or something like that, which, I mean, it sounds puny when you're talking about electric vehicles because Tesla's putting a been putting a ton of power in their vehicles for a long time but that's not insignificant and that's fine for i bet you 90 percent of the people who buy an electric vehicle would be 100 percent satisfied with 255 horsepower that's not a little bit of horsepower that's that's pretty good right and then you've got the gt for the people who are you know, who want that crazy acceleration that's under four seconds to 60 miles an hour, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got the option for uh, lower power. And I'm pretty sure you can still get the low power vehicle with the long range battery, which is great because that, to me, that's optimal. I don't need, you know, I'm driving around in a crossover. I don't need 600 pound feet of torque. Nobody does. But at the end of the day, I still want to go travel far. So uh, I think they've done, they're going to do the lineup uh, of that Mach-E really well. You know, they've got sort of the the pedestrian civilian version, and then you've got the high-powered one, but you'll have that choice. And I think that's really good 
they're also going to have a on the base base model it's going to be rear wheel drive which i mean at least in canada i'm not sure how many people will buy the rear wheel drive version people like their all-wheel drive and it's probably not that much more expensive to get the all-wheel drive get two uh two motors so um it's probably going to be you know a lot of base battery all-wheel drive cars that'll sell i'm thinking so i think that brings to like the one concern i have for ford is the infrastructure for charging so yep. when you say long distance travel right like at home that's totally fine you can install yep. the charger at home but one thing with tesla is you know for, for number one is the charging time they got the you know you can charge your car up to 80 percent in 20 minutes that's yep. pretty good that's, that's very pretty good. good that's, that's pretty very good. good yeah with ford i don't know like I don't. They haven't really released that information. I don't think. That's right. But um, I think that's going to be a big selling point for me. I mean, if I can spend ten grand more and get that access to that infrastructure, I feel like doing a lot of long distance driving. That's huge, right? That's a big, uh, big selling point for it's me. True. Um, I think, like I said before, like the infrastructure for electricity is grow. Like electric cars are growing um, exponentially. And, and like rapidly, but um, I don't think the world is ready for 100% EV, even no. 80% EV. For sure. But I mean, if you are an early adopter or even let's say early majority, um, you're in good hands. Like, I don't know. We had this conversation before the podcast. It's like having an EV, there's ups and downs, right? Like it's like, yep. are you if you're ready for the inconvenience, like when you're ready to go somewhere, you're like, oh, no charge in my car, right? And yeah. you got to wait an hour or two hours to go somewhere um that's that's one thing right and also i was so comparing to the model y i'm just looking at um battery technologies right it's tesla really refined the art of um just like managing their batteries it's liquid cooled it's properly charged cell by cell right it's not just so that's the part i don't know if ford's gonna comprehend right away it's something that can pick up right away um, from a funding perspective, I think Ford, like taking out the sedans, that's good. They're going to have money to, you know, allocate into this project. But from from a profitability standpoint as well, it took Tesla how many years to become profitable? Now, yeah. that's one thing. And it's also like looking at like, for example, Nissan. They're not making money on the leaf um, in the North American market. It's a break even, and that's why they're not pumping on production. And right. that's why there's limited quantity, right? Right. So I think that's just another bigger picture for Ford as a, or as a company. Like, I think the direction they're going is huge. They need that, like, funding to be, like, agile and being able to, inv- like, innovate in the EV market. And they are, I think, compared to a lot of automakers, traditional automakers. For they're, sure. They're leading, right? They're moving to the right direction in the right place, but it's just the ambiguity in the next five years. That's what I'm... It's interesting to see. I'm really excited to see the Maki to drive it. Um, but I think for now, even as a brand per- perception, when you're trying to spend $50,000, $60,000 Canadian dollars, you're probably going to go with the Tesla, right? Like... Everything considering, even if performance or whatnot is better on the Ford, the infrastructure and the reputation, um, 
I don't know. We'll see what happens, right? We will have to see. I mean, there yeah. are a lot of people. We're young. You know, we're yeah. hip. We yeah. we like technology and new yeah. things. Yeah. I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who don't want to buy a car from a company like Tesla because they're only a few years old. You know, they they wouldn't trust sort of the reliability of a vehicle like that. Whereas, you know, regardless of how reliable, you know, individually a Mach-E is, they'll trust a company like Ford, uh, much more than a company like Tesla. You know, whether it's about the claims for range or something like long-term reliability or, or anything like that, people have relationships and perceptions with Ford and there are a lot of people who don't necessarily have anything like that with Tesla and might not be ready for the jump the way that someone like you and I would be. Mm-hmm. You know, the people who have the disposable income to spend, you know, 60K on a vehicle, <coughs> um, a lot of them are not so young and, and ready for change or ready for the technology. It's a big enough change getting an electric vehicle to begin with. So a lot of people might be comfortable getting a Ford rather than a Tesla just because it's Ford. That's They've been around for a long time. That's and that's that's speculation from me. Yeah. There, I might be underestimating people, but I think that that might draw a lot of people to Ford showrooms. They might be, they might say, well, okay, yeah, I can't use superchargers with my Ford, but it's Ford. I don't really trust Tesla. I'm not sure that they've been around long enough making cars. And so, you know, I've I've owned a Ford for years. My dad owned a Ford. My grandfather owned a Ford. I'm going to buy the Ford. Right. It's possible that people will look at it that way. I'm I'm not sure. I'm just speculating at this point, but that is something that Ford has going for it. And I think that one of the important things is that Ford has actually made a vehicle that other than, you know, the charging infrastructure when comparing it to a Tesla, mm-hmm. if I look at that Ford vehicle, I don't really say, "Oh, wow, but" there's this or but there's that you know the interior looks nice uh the outside looks really good i think it's gonna have a good range it's not the highest range we've seen but it's competitive uh you can get a high powered model you can get a low powered model there's a big range in terms of uh price it's not that affordable but for an electric car it's pretty good um and so there aren't really any buts right i don't it's not like um you know the first nissan leaf it it was pretty cool and it was new technology but oh god that thing was ugly <laughs> i would not be caught dead in and the car. range was not fantastic no all. i mean for you know when it first came out i mean that was sort of the range you were getting from electric cars nowadays it's not great but there's no real but right with this ford i think that ford has made a vehicle that's good and competent and that people would actually want you know barring any big problems when it actually comes out like maybe it drives horribly and then it would be like okay yeah this isn't a great vehicle but from what we can tell right now i think it's just a good vehicle that people would like yeah and i think that's important because a lot of automakers have tried to make electric cars and they've just been there's been things that you would be like oh but that's so goofy looking or the interior is horrible or the technology is slow or or the range is just way too low right and there aren't any of those butts with this car so i think that's a really good start for ford yeah for sure and um i think the infrastructure will come 
And yes. it might be a collaboration effort between the traditional automaker. I think that's the right way to go. And it's making EV accessible to everyone. Um, like from a des design perspective, like you mentioned, like a lot of, like in the past, a lot of automakers have been trying to like for the old leaf was ugly and uh, whatnot, right? Uh, I think Tesla is the first company that made a good looking car, yep. a good driving car, and that's EV. Yeah. Good range. Yep. Like that's the right formula for EV. I don't know how people can't figure that one out. Like <laughs> EV is a good car yep. plus EV, right? Yep. But I feel like people are just over their heads in the sense that they're like, oh, it's futuristic. We have to make it like different. Yeah. Or, or, or. So I, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I know what you're saying. But I think it's totally possible to adopt like the EV infrastructure onto the cars we currently have, right? We have examples of that too, right? Like the e-Golf is supposed to be awesome to drive. Yeah. Range is a different story. That's right. But driving capability, I mean, like it's, you know, cars been around for hundreds, like hundreds of years. Yeah. And it's a Golf. It drives yeah. well. There's yeah. no reason yeah. an electric yeah. car doesn't have, like there's no reason an electric car has to drive poorly. Yeah. Right? You can make, electric cars that drive well and stuff and that's what automakers are trying to figure out right now because yeah. there are some weird differences i mean ford is putting a, a front trunk yeah. a frunk yeah. on this mach e yeah. because they've they are putting the batteries in the floor the way tesla does right yeah. and that's that's a smart move it it yeah. now gives you an advantage over a gasoline powered vehicle yeah. or a diesel powered vehicle yeah. because now there's extra space to put things where there wouldn't normally be right so I think once everyone figures out how to make an electric vehicle that everybody would actually buy and that doesn't come with any of these butts, I think that we'll really start seeing a lot of people buy these cars. Yeah. And I'm so I'm looking at the electric charging infrastructure right now. Yeah. Um, it looks like, at least in Canada, it's pretty good up until, if you go east from where we are, uh, when you hit Toronto, Mississauga, it's good, right? Yeah. You hit Ottawa, not bad. Uh, Quebec, the whole Quebec province, especially southern Quebec, is amazing. So many charging stations yes. up there, right? They and really like electric. They really cars like electric cars, for sure. So, but the problem is, if we want to go to the east coast, which is amazing, beautiful place in Canada, yeah, you can't really get past New Brunswick. <laughs> <laughs> that's and that's unfortunate. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. I've seen commercials yeah. specifically for this yeah. where Tesla is going to have superchargers available all the way across Canada yeah. so that you can take a trip yeah. all the way across yeah. Canada in your Tesla. Yeah. And that is the start. You yeah. know, you're yeah. right about there being universal infrastructure at some point. Yeah. You know, there's no way we're going to have Chevrolet chargers and Ford chargers and Toyota chargers and Tesla chargers. Right. That you have to all differentiate between. There's no way that's going to happen. And so once EVs become relevant for enough companies, it'll all become the same. And uh, hopefully it'll just be better for the consumer. You know, it'll yeah. eventually everywhere will be like California, having chargers everywhere. Yeah. Everybody's got charging stations in their parking lots, things like that. So, um, uh, yeah. What I'm not happy of seeing right now, though, is... 
governments are removing the EV incentives, right? I yeah. understand it costs a lot of money, but it's like that's that will help people to adapt, like adopt. Like I mean, five grand—that's big. Like for that's me, a, I don't know. I don't know about cost. you, but yeah. someone gave me five grand to buy a car. I'll do it. That's oh, yeah. probably like, you know, like personally, I'm commuting a lot. Like I'm driving two hundred plus kilometers a day, um, and I'm seriously considering getting an EV. Which one? I don't know yet. Um, I and think you're not quite ready to. I'm buy not quite yet. ready, but in the next year or two. Yep. But yep. my car's good right now, so there's no reason for me to do it. But um, that being said, it's just like it's definitely if you're a commuter, like if you have the axis of um, charging stations at work, why not? Why yeah. not do it? Why yeah, not? Yeah, for it? sure. It saves environment. <laughs> I mean, like that's just you know saves another money. factor, right? Yeah. And it's like I think the the adoption will happen once. Automakers can figure out how to sell a car for twenty five grand. An EV that drives nice with good range for twenty five grand. That's when like, yep. and it not, will happen. It will happen for sure. It will happen at some point. I think slower than people expect, though. Slower yeah. than people expect. Somebody will figure it out. Yeah, yeah. And that'll right. be a good day. Yeah. Um, what about the Polestar two though? We haven't really talked about that one. We can go over that quickly. Yeah, uh, quickly talking about the Polestar two. Um, We've got uh, the Polestar 1 is now... Oh, yeah. I know that uh, journalists have got their hands on it. Yeah. Um, they've been driving around. I know they're very impressed. Yeah. Uh, but value for money is not no. all that strong because it's a very expensive car. Yeah. But it's a very nice, expensive car. So right. I've heard good things. It's a little expensive. We don't really know how expensive the Polestar 2 is going to be, but it's going to be a crossover-ish, kind of about the same size as the Model Y, Mach-E, I'm pretty sure. Um, So a smaller crossover from Polestar that looks, you know, like all of those Volvos do, which is stunning. I love the look of all the new Volvos, and the Polestar 1 uh, still takes my breath away, but... um, I think the Pulsar too. So from what the the press have said, it's going to be starting around forty five thousand US. Really? So that's going to be that's going to be like a dual motor Model Three money. Yeah. I think they're going to not do the rear wheel drive option, but go straight into all wheel drive and. Yeah, because it's meant to be sort of a crossover, and, and that's stuff. fine, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Interesting. Yeah, I think that one's supposed to come out a little bit later. I know that the Ford Mach-E has said late 2020. Mm. The Model Y is supposed to be early 2021. Um, But Tesla is notorious for being behind on those things. I'd be surprised uh, if the first delivery in Canada happened in two years. (laughs) That's right. So we'll have to see. I mean, hey, you know what? We could be sitting here all day debating which one's better. But at the end of the day, if Tesla can't get the Model Y out on time, then... People are going to buy the Ford because the Model Y won't be available, right? Right. So, um, yeah, that all remains to be seen. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of two very important electric vehicles and a third as well, the Polestar, but sort of less so um, important. But those are some important electric vehicles that are coming out in the next couple of years, uh, we hope. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of our our, uh, review and our thoughts on what's going on. So, uh, Yeah, thank you for listening to our electric vehicle podcast, and we'll definitely be releasing some more. Thanks, guys.